I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. It's all coming up Chicago at the moment. Sure, they got only their third win of the season, but it consigned the Carolina Panthers to their eighth loss of the season and actually enhanced Chicago's chances of getting the number one overall pick, which now stand at over 40%. Talking about that, talking about the game last night, talking about some New York Giants strategies going forward, and the boo-boo breakdown, all the injuries you need to think about this week. We'll be myself and Brad Spielberger. How's it going, Bradley? Like you said, everything's coming up Chicago. So, you know, a nice field goal win over the 1-8 and Carolina Panthers. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? Just living the dream, baby. Just living the dream. Um, we'll get to that uh, pretty, certain, uh, pretty soon. But first, we got to hit talking about uh, securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Brad, other than victory, what was your... uh, what was your takeaway from this epic Thursday night football encounter? I mean, I know the stretches of opponents over the last month or so for the Bears have not been the greatest offensive teams uh, across the league, but I, I do think you are seeing this defense start to play at, at a much higher level. I mean, you look last night, they technically give up six points on the two field goals because we had a punt return from Mir Smith Marset. And you look at, the, you know, the Raiders game, yeah, the Chargers kind of killed them, but the Raiders game, the Vikings game, you go back a little bit now, and particularly against the run, they're a top five team against the run right now in e-paper play and success rate, and you saw that again last Last night, basically nothing on the ground for Carolina, which they kind of tried to lean into early, get Chuba Hubbard going, and, and he was averaging like three yards a carry. So, and then beyond that, you know, again, the season is more so than wins, is about seeing growth from young, recent draft picks. I thought Kyler Gordon, the Bears nickel corner, was arguably the best player on the field last night. Maybe Derek Brown, maybe some other guys had some splash plays throughout the game, but Kyler Gordon was everywhere in coverage, up against the run, had six defensive stops or tackles for loss or no gain. He, he was awesome. Yeah, no, I think the Bears had some, you know, good performance on defense. Certainly Montez Sweat brings just a competence to the defensive line that they didn't necessarily have without him. Like, Sweat, I don't think, is an amazing player, but he's good enough that if you give him opportunities, he's going to get pressures. You know, and he had seven pressures on 34 pass rushing snaps. 34 pass rushing snaps is a lot, 
but he returns seven pressures with it. Like it's it's an important element that they're bringing to that defense that they didn't have without him. Um, but you know, we talk heading into that game, right? Steve was saying. He likes good defense. He likes defensive battles. But there's a difference between good defense and bad offense. And I think last night, unfortunately, was kind of what people expected going into it, which is we've got two fairly incompetent offenses going against each other. That's going to lead to some low-scoring affair. At least Chicago could run the ball, which the Panthers couldn't even do. And that, honestly, was probably the difference between the two teams. Yeah, no, it's a good shout, right? It, it was it was probably one of the worst, you know, uh, games of the season just in terms of the quality of moving the football that we saw. Back to Montez Sweat quickly. I mean, yeah, like he's always a guy for us that his pressure rate's going to be higher than his pass rush, pass rush win rate. He's not necessarily going to be winning a bunch of one-on-ones, but I think if you go look at all three sacks the Bears had last night, Montez Sweat was a factor in all three of those guys getting home, and the Bears don't blitz. They're 29th in blitz rate. It's going to be a four-man rush, guys that need to win, and you know, kind of goes against what he does well, but nevertheless... Um, a lot of those coming against Taylor Moten as well, who's a pretty good pass blocking right tackle. So, but yeah, the offense was was a journey, was a struggle for both teams, uh, no question about it. But yeah, Deontay Foreman revenge game, staying out of the chains, uh, running hard, running downhill. It, it was enough uh, in this one. Yeah, um, obviously the quarterback competition, Tyson Bajan. I mean, you know, you got to win. That's about all you can say from the Tyson Bajan perspective. But Bryce Young. Another game that wasn't particularly good was more concerning than good. There were a couple of small, like one nice pass on the corner route to uh, Strawn, a couple of nice scrambles, but that was kind of it. And where I think this game was more concerning relative to his season otherwise is like that offensive line has been a train wreck for most of the season. It was okay last night in terms of pass protection anyway. Like, it wasn't like he was running for his life every single play. He was under pressure a little bits and pieces, but he didn't handle whatever pressure was there particularly well, and there wasn't the kind of volume of pressure that he's had in previous games. I mean, Iki Aquano gave up one hurry, which is like a season, high, a season, you know, good game for him. The fact that the offense still looked that bad versus a – or with a better pass protect, protection – was a real worry. Oh, 100%. And I talk about how the Bears' run defense has been good. Their coverage unit is a bottom five statistically, you know, so far this season. So it was interesting, too, because you mentioned that the bomb to Strahan or Strawn, however you say it, down the left sideline um, on the corner route, that was off play action. And coming into this game, Carolina, I think, was dead last, if not bottom five in play action rate. And probably part of that because they don't trust the offensive line to hold up, or maybe they don't really trust Bryce to turn his back to the defense right. and then have to, you know, relocate process find someone downfield but that was his best that was the best throw that anyone made all night and they did run it you know more than their season-long base rate had been but if you're in a matchup where you trust the offensive line given the opponent which this game obviously would apply you need to lean into that more because they're doing a lot of the high low half field read concepts all of those things I think it makes more sense to continue to do that off of play action, especially because you know, they are a threat to run the ball a decent amount. Uh, I just thought they could have continued to lean into that. But, yeah, I mean, the the the, the, the play that was emblematic to me of what's going on in Carolina, it's second and 16. Bryce Young is standing six yards in, into his own end zone and throws a curl to third-string running back Raheem Blackshear, who literally lined up out wide and ran Like, that is the most emblematic of, like, 
Well, I mean, he didn't look good. He hasn't looked good all year. But, I mean, what is the guy supposed to do uh, in this current environment? No, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't good at all for Carolina. Um, what did you make of Tyson Bajan, I guess, for another game for him? Uh, this time he gets a win. I, you can talk yourself into being encouraged by what you see from Bajan, given his story, given his background, given all those kinds of things. He's a strange quarterback, though. Like, there's some... I, he gets mocked a lot for not having a strong arm, but it's only... It's in very specific situations where he has no kind of arm. It seems to be when his feet are under him, he's actually got... He's, his arm's fine. He's got zip on the ball. He can put it deep, deep enough down the field. It's the second he's like falling away from the throw or his feet aren't where they're supposed to be. Not only does he not have a strong arm, but like the, there's nothing there. Yeah, I don't wanna, I'm not trying to be mean to the guy when I talk about it. I'm more of just been kind of mocking it because people keep pointing to this like combine test, I guess, where they, they I'm sure he took four hitches and on the, you know put his entire body weight into the throw. I remember everyone always talked about it with Baker Mayfield too. Yes, if the guy can take four hitches and, and put his entire 200 pounds of, of weight into the throw, I'm sure he can zip it. But the screen pass to Darnell Mooney, for example, you're talking about his feet were not set and it, it fluttered in there and basically Mooney had no, had no chance of doing anything with the play at that point he he made a couple nice throws look the fourth down throw over the middle to tyler scott was also his you know f- furthest throw of the game uh 15 yards downfield obviously the game clincher i was honestly surprised that they even trusted him to drop back and throw the ball on third and six and he i wouldn't say threw it into traffic but i mean donald mooney did have two guys closing in and there was decent velocity on that throw he also led mooney upfield and i think it was helped generate that first down because mooney had to kind of run forward to go get the ball so there was some good there, but end of the day, like I'm not trying to be mean to the guy. It's more just like, look, he's not a long-term starter. I'm pumped as a Bears fan. He should be the backup for his entire undrafted contract uh, and be a dirt cheap backup quarterback. It's just like, let's 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 pump the brakes on him being like a potential starter in Chicago or anywhere. Yeah, you. I mean, you mentioned that one screen to that fluttered. There was like two or three more of those plays though later, where again, it's like. They were they were both they both came when he was throwing left the ones after that um, where he's sort of falling away from the throw and as soon as his feet are not under him the ball just dies like it doesn't get anywhere near where it's supposed to be at. we were talking about this recently about a quarterback who who's like that whose arm is good when his his feet are set but is is terrible when they're not I can't remember who it was but Bajan's got that same thing where I actually think his arm is decent when he's got his feet under him and he can put the ball in there. But as soon as it's not, it's like it's the other end of the spectrum. It's catastrophic. It's bizarre. Um, so, yeah, I kind of yeah. I, I agree with you. Like, I think he's a great story. You know, it's a huge leap. The one, I mean, they were showing you, right, the graphic of like teams he was facing in college and then the NFL teams that he's facing now. Like you go from Colorado School of Mining or something to the Minnesota Vikings, right? It, I mean, it's a pretty big leap. Uh, so – He's going to have a growth curve attached to it. Um, but I think we're seeing enough limitations that we're not getting out of control and saying, yeah, he's the guy to focus on. Forget Fields. You know, he's the starter. Like, he might be a backup. Yeah, and we also look like I, I do think he, he processes well. I think he's not like you talk about the footwork a lot, and there were a couple happy feet throws. But honestly, I think when he does um, have confidence in the pocket, I think he'll stand in there. I think he will plant. He'll square his shoulders um, and be and be solid. But we also saw last night, and I don't know if it's a, a product of him not trusting himself or what, but. Tyler Scott 
on a uh, a corner or a post route over the, uh, from the right slot was wide open for for a touchdown. And then Darna Mooney, of course, the Chicago horrendous all twenty two. We couldn't really see. I was watching Prime Vision, which is my favorite because you can actually see if there are any DBs behind the guys. Anyway. He had the prime target, the green highlighted circle, so I trust them that he also was wide open when Bajan was rolling to his right, and and he didn't he didn't throw it either time. And it's like, does he not trust that he can get enough you know air under the ball or what? But no, he's solid. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he's calm. I think he's composed, which says a lot. You know, like you said, going from you know IUPUI, which is like a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament every year, and Colorado School of Mines to now playing in the NFL. But yeah, there are obvious limitations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, I think that's I think that's all the time we deserve to give to this game. To be honest, you know, Thursday night football, the Bears move one step closer to the number one overall draft pick and get a W. So you know, can't ask for much more than that from a Chicago perspective. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about where the New York Giants go from here, given their disastrous season, given their quarterback problems as well. But before we do that, uh, we got to talk to you about DraftKings. Who are the pretenders? Who are the contenders? We're more than halfway through the NFL season, but DraftKings Sportsbook is still pumping out unbeatable offers every single game. New customers can bet five bucks to get uh, on anything to get two hundred dollars instantly in bonus bets. DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game this October. Um, Get in on the football action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the app now and use code PFF. New customers can bet $5 on anything to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with the code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8 8- uh, seven seven eight hope ny or text hope ny to four six seven three six nine in connecticut help is available for a problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please play responsibly on behalf of boot hill casino resort kansas licensee partner golden nugget lake charles louisiana 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in ontario Bets, uh, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Bradley, the Giants have made an unholy balls of this. Where do they go from here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think they are a very, very legitimate threat to be picking top two. Uh, you know, Arizona gets Kyler Murray back now. I mean, Carolina, it looked horrendous last night, so they probably should be in the conversation for Chicago, obviously. Uh, The Patriots, I I think, are an interesting one as well. But there's a very legitimate chance I think this Giants team is is picking in the Caleb Williams and Drake May range of the draft. And they effectively gave Daniel Jones a two-year contract. Um, You know, all the guarantees, all the full guarantees are in the first two years. There is an injury guarantee that could kick in for the third year. He presumably would be healthy with the ACL before that comes. And it does complicate matters if you wanted to trade him, you know, with, okay, was a team going to give you that much for a guy coming off a torn ACL with some big money and guarantees owed in the second year of a deal? But I think you have to if you're the Giants. And I, and I get the argument of they're still so far away. There's so much more they need to add to this team. But, you know, I think you just have to do it and, and build around a new guy. In theory, Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal is a decent bookend to start building around. If Neal can play some better football, um, if both guys can get healthy, 
And then, yeah, I mean, a healthy Wandell Robinson now, Darren Waller, and the whole team is injured. But long answer short, I think you have to do it and take one of those top prospects if you're there. How damaging is it for the new regime, um, you know, Joe Shane, uh, Brian Dayball, to effectively one year after making a fairly significant decision, right? Like, we'll talk about the decision itself in a second, but one year after essentially getting it wrong, going back to ownership and saying, uh, we're going to go in a, we got it wrong. We're going to go in a completely different direction. We're blowing it up. We screwed it up last year. And now we, Jones isn't the guy. We're drafting the new guy. Now we have to get rid of Daniel Jones. Like, how hard is that for them to go kind of cap in hand to ownership and say, we blew it? A good question. And you do wonder, you know, to what degree ownership is involved in. I, I view the situation particularly interesting. I think part of why they made this decision, and I think it's very bad process, and I am in general a fan of Joe Shane. I think he's done a lot of good. We should get to the Leonard Williams trade in a second here. I think the viewpoint was, and I have a feeling ownership probably had something to do with it, we need to keep both Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley on this team. And if we're going to pay one a multi-year deal, I guess let's do the quarterback by low. He obviously got extended before all the 2020 class guys got way more money. Like you could talk yourself into why it made sense to pay him and franchise tag Saquon Barkley. Flash forward, you know, Daniel Jones is is not worthy of uh, of the extension. Saquon Barkley is below league average in explosive run rate and and success rate in uh, stuff rate. Like, Like neither guy really needed to be retained, frankly. But that is what I come back to is I ownership. I imagine was like, find a way to keep both guys. And he said, okay, we're not going to give a, a running back, a big second contract. We'll tag him. And that means we have to pay Daniel Jones. Um, you know, so that's kind of how I view it. So if you were, if you were the, the decision maker there a year ago, where was the, where was the mistake? So what was the actual original sin in this whole thing? Cause there's a cascade of problems that all stem from, whichever screw up you determine was the was the first one or the biggest problem they made they had a sequence of decisions uh number one was when they come in do we pick up daniel jones fifth year option right that's decision number one they decided not to do that uh once they got a pretty good season out of daniel jones coming off the uh the first year with brian dayball the playoff run winning a playoff game then the decision is, well, what do we do? We've got Daniel Jones expiring. We've got Saquon Barkley expiring. We have one franchise tag. How do we deploy this? They end up deciding to sign Daniel Jones to a contract, giving him multiple years, and then using the tag on Saquon and negotiating that way. So what, in your opinion, was the mistake and what should have been the, the, the actual way to go? No issue declining the fifth-year option. Now that those are fully guaranteed at exercise, I think more teams, frankly, should take the risk of, all right, we don't really know what we have, and the downside risk of fully guaranteeing $23 million, whatever it was going to be, we'd rather have the risk of, okay, now we have to tag him for $32 million. Yes, we're losing $9 million, which is not ideal, but we're also not, let's say he was horrible last year, and then you're on the book sitting there like Sam Darnold in Carolina with a $19 million fully guaranteed fifth-year option that you would give away for a fresh bag of, uh, of football. So it's like, I think that decision is fine. Right. The, the, the issue for me was that you know analysis I just thought of the two players Look, I get Saquon Barkley as a franchise cornerstone. He matters so much. This community, the organization, everything. The franchise tag was created for for Daniel Jones 
2022. It's literally why it exists is, hey, we had a quarterback who threw 15 touchdown passes and had like seven big time throws and a 6.5 yard average depth of target. And yes, his offensive line was not good. His receivers were not good. And yes, he was great against Minnesota in that playoff game. But like, we need to see more. We don't know if he really is the guy. And to clarify, like, we're not the ACL injury sucks, but he, he was not playing well before that. Right. Um, but I feel bad he's injured. I would like to see maybe he could bounce back. But anyway, that's why the franchise tag was created. And and I mentioned Barkley hasn't been great, but if Jonathan Taylor is signing three years, forty two. I feel like three years, 37 and a half was probably a realistic contract for both parties in this Barkley Giants situation. You're comfortable giving one year 11. All right, give him three, 37 and a half with 20 million guaranteed. Again, like what's the difference? You know, I think that if, if I needed to keep both, I probably would have gone that route. So I, I agree. I think that the the way they handle it, this, the franchise tag thing was the mistake. I, I think... I also agree that I, th- I think turning down his fifth-year option is, was a fair move at the time, right? They effectively said, look, if he stinks, we want rid of that. We have no idea what he is. If he's good, we can put the franchise tag on him anyway. So, yeah, it's costing a little bit more, but we were paying for the next year of seeing, right, without any kind of cost. So I agree. I think that made sense. But the second he had the season he did, which is a step forward, but we don't know, you put the franchise tag on him because you can't risk doing anything else. Because if you get it wrong, exactly what happened will happen, right? He plays badly, you want rid of him, and you're stuck with him because you just gave him the other contract. So did they get, did they misevaluate what Daniel Jones was coming out of this unexpectedly good year for the team, right? Playoff run, winning a bunch of close games, beating the Vikings in the playoffs, uh, and him playing well while they did that. Did they like misevaluate because of that uh, that unexpectedly good performance, or did they just get greedy and think we need to keep both of these guys here, and this is the best way of doing that? Like we, in order to have the flexibility of signing Daniel Jones, getting Saquon Barkley locked down because that's a more contentious contract or whatever. Like we need the franchise tag for him, and this is just the best way of doing that. And we want to have our cake and eat it. Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. I do think that the latter is a big part of it. And really, teams should learn from this of like never be backed into a decision because you need to retain a tag for one other player. It's just not good process. But I also think it was a misevaluation. Like, again, I said, he didn't have good protection, didn't really have good weapons last year. And this is unfair analysis. But you take out two games against Minnesota who may have had the worst defense in the NFL last year, and he probably had like eight touchdown passes so like, like on the season. Like, I, you know, that, 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 that's not the correct number. But, um, you know, a team that sat back in soft zone and did nothing, um, that obviously changed coordinators, is now playing much better. I mean, he, he owes Ed Donatella a chunk of his of his signing bonus, I think, frankly. So, yeah, it was just, it was just a, bad, a, a bad decision um, in, in every way you look at it. But I will pivot to the positive. The smartest thing they could do, in my opinion, was recognize it in other ways and kind of hit the reset button. Getting a second and fifth round pick for a player in Leonard Williams that is good, um, but not great, that is 29 years old, that is not franchise taggable because he's already been tagged twice, um, I think was excellent. I think it was the move of the deadline, uh, was the Giants handling that. I think it was better than anyone else, anything anyone else did at the deadline. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. That's an indication that they're going to head in the right direction and recognize where they are. But the last sort of question that I I end up with, um, if they misevaluated Daniel Jones, if they screwed it up last year, if they sort of misrep misread where they were as a team, is there not also a chance that they're going to do that again this year and say? The offensive line was abysmal. We still don't have receivers for Daniel Jones. The man got injured. Like, we're stuck with him anyway. Let's give Daniel another shot. Let's go get Marvin Harrison Jr. at the top of the draft. Let's go get, you know, one of the top tackles, Fashnu, Alt, whoever. Let's, let's, the Evan Neal thing didn't work. Let's build around Daniel Jones and give him a real chance this year. I think it's possible for sure. I, I wouldn't be shocked, frankly. I mean, let's they would probably tell themselves, all right, let's say they do have a first or second overall pick. We can trade this for a crazy boatload of, of, of draft picks. We can still land, if not Marvin Harrison Jr., you get one of the other awesome receivers that should go in the top 15 of this class. Um, and then, you, yeah, more offensive line, everything. Just build the entire offense out, maybe add some pass rush, whatever, on the defense as well. Um, yeah, I could see it. And, and I, and I there, there's an argument to why it makes sense. Um Personally, I would take one of the quarterback prospects and, and just go from there. Oh, I absolutely would as well. I'm just sort of, yeah. I think we're taking it as read that Daniel Jones coming off this year, it's, that's it, right? Done. The end. Like, you can't possibly go forward with him at this point. But I'm sort of, I'm conscious of, I wouldn't have done what they did last year. And they're the ones whose names are tied to that decision. Like, I, again, I keep coming back to this idea of, it's got to be pretty hard to go into the ownership room with the with the, your pitch is essentially hey we misidentified our franchise quarterback a year ago let me fix it by identifying the next franchise quarterback and you're like that's those are sort of the first piece of information works quite heavily against the second piece of information in that in that sales pitch it's it certainly does it, it's a, it's a good point i mean look steve kine pulled it off and you know obviously he's no longer in arizona and, and made some poor decisions along the way but probably the best thing he ever did yeah. was admit that josh rosen was a whiff and say look we're going to take kyler murray and start this thing over so like, that's where i go back to i do think we've seen a lot of good process from shane i think a lot of things he's done have been smart and, and show a a macro understanding and a, and a path and a vision but yeah, it was a miss on the quarterback evaluation, on giving him that deal. I think there's no way around that. But also, like every team kind of does that. You say, well, what the alternative is we take a risk on a rookie that might not be good, or, you know, it's a safe play, it's a high floor play, which you could probably even argue that with Daniel Jones. But, but yeah, I don't know. I hear you 110%. Uh, I, I would give another shot. He inherited the guy, he declined his option, he changed his mind because of a, a situation with Barkley that for all we know, you know, maybe ownership was pushing that more than more than we realized. Right. Um I, I think you're right that look, I don't think uh I don't think the Cardinals get enough credit for the Kyler Murray move, actually, to be honest. I think there are a lot of teams that would have passed and said, No, we got Year one for Rosen was awful, but we drafted our guy in the first round. We believe in him. He's going to be the guy going forward. We're going to trade out at number one. We'll pick the picks up. We'll build around Rosen, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't. They looked at that and said, even though we drafted a guy last year in the first round, this guy is so much better than the one we drafted. We don't get this opportunity very often. Let's make it happen. The difference there, though, between that situation and this one is – 
th- those were two rookies where the evaluation, everyone sort of an- acknowledges that the evaluation is a little bit of a shot in the dark. We don't really know what any of these guys look like until we get in the NFL. This, they had like NFL, you know, a run of NFL footage and a year in the system with this guy and decided he's our guy. And then a year later, and it costs money, like a lot of money. And then a year later, they're like, actually, you know what? No, <laughs> we got it wrong. We blew that one. We missed. It's, he's not the guy. The money we, we talked you into giving up last year, sorry about that. That was a mistake. But now we're going to go in a different direction and draft the guy instead. I, it's the right call. I'm, I'm not arguing against it. I think that's absolutely what they need to do. And acknowledging the mistake is the first step on the road to putting it right. But that's a tough conversation with the owner right super tough too because like let's say jones did play the rest of the year just didn't play well or you know maybe had injuries but not a torn acl not that a neck injury is any less serious but you know he didn't have a you know a nine-month recovery type of injury and also of course this injury happened in the pocket but which kind of seems to be the case for all these recent mobile quarterbacks is they actually don't get hurt doing that mobile thing we all fear but Like, Jones is not probably going to use his legs as much, at least for the next, what, two years of his career. And Jones not having the threat of taking off with the football, I mean, that's the best thing he had going for him, you know, the last couple of years is that opening throwing windows and getting respect and having, you know, linebacker spies and stuff like that because he is taking good taking off and running. It is tough. It, you know, the money is very different with a Josh Rosen 10th overall pick right. versus now an extended guy. You're paying 82 mil over two years. And that's the toughest part about it is the trade value is probably because like you can go ownership say, yeah, we paid a lot, but we're going to save half of it. We're going to, you know, I think it's like 35 for next year and we're going to get a second and a fourth. Now it's like the team's going to ask us to retain half the salary and we're still going to get like a third. It's a, it's a, I mean, that's just kind of off the top of my head, but it, it's it's tough. No question about it. I think the thing that makes the if you were on the fence about it, the thing that would settle the decision for you is we did see what this offense looks like this year with non-Daniel Jones quarterbacks, and Tyrod Taylor looked better. Like, you know, and the, so it w- you could probably talk yourself into, if they'd seen nothing but Daniel Jones this year, you'd be like, look, the offensive line is garbage. It's historically terrible, right? It's one of the worst offensive lines we've ever seen. The receivers are doing nothing. We don't know if that's Daniel Jones' fault or not, but we can at least make the case. The receivers aren't helping him out. You know, Darren Waller got hurt, as always happens, so he didn't get his guy that we thought he was going to have. What could he do, right? This was just – he was in a no-win situation. But we, he saw him get hurt, and Tyrod Taylor comes in. And, okay, it's not like Tyrod Taylor lit up the league, but it looked better, right? It was visibly more effective, more efficient. It moved the football better. He made more big throws deep down the field. Suddenly, Jalen Hyatt looked a little bit more like training camp Jalen Hyatt rather than regular season Jalen Hyatt with Daniel Jones. It's difficult now to construct that argument in a completely sound way that doesn't put any blame on Daniel Jones, right? We've seen – we can change a guy who, we, who the league has determined is not capable of starting, really, and he makes it look better. That, that's a pretty big indictment on the guy we have under center – it's got to be at least part of his fault. Fascinating, beautiful irony of the whole thing is that exact quarterback in Tyrod Taylor 
had a Daniel Jones-esque season in Buffalo right. where Joe Shane was a, a high-level ranking personnel person, makes the playoffs, also had 15 touchdown passes, also a good runner, all those things, and they said, thanks for your services, we're going to go draft Josh Allen. It was the exact same scenario uh, as Jones last year. And I also think, you know, now we're in this world where it, the the – the goal for quarterbacks used to be let's just get a serviceable starter because if you didn't have that, you you had nothing. You had a, an absolute disaster at quarterback and you couldn't function in the NFL. Now finding those guys is actually really easy. And the goal is finding Mahomes, finding Josh Allen, finding Joe Burrow, like finding an elite guy that can move the needle to the point where I'm actually wondering if there's even a difference anymore between serviceable starter and backup. Like they're the same guy. Andy Dalton came in who is now a backup quarterback, and he looked better than the number one overall pick in a single game, right? Tyra Taylor has looked better than Daniel Jones. Does, does it make any difference whatsoever if Jameis Winston is the quarterback as opposed to Derek Carr in New Orleans, right? I actually think now the line is gone that if you have a serviceable starting quarterback, you have a backup quarterback, which means a guy that can start games, but you don't want playing for you know three seasons in a row because he's not as good as the elite quarterbacks that you need to win the game. Like, I don't know if that line exists anymore. You mentioned Andy Dalton. He was probably better than Derek Carr in New Orleans last year. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, with all kind of the same construct, same receiving group, same offensive lines, you know, Pete Carmichael calling plays. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. It really is. That middle tier, we've been saying this forever, and you know, Jason Fitzgerald over the cap's been talking about this for a decade, but that middle tier of quarterback that gets but let's say they're 50% as good as Mahomes, but they get, and that might even be generous, but they get 75% of the money of a of a Patrick Mahomes because the way the market works, it's the worst place to be. Yeah, but I, I think now the line so I there used to be, you know, tier one, your elite high-end quarterbacks and then like tier two where you could win with them but it was harder and then tier three which was like you know marginal starters backups either tier two has been erased entirely um and they just don't exist or the line like that is a really small group now and tier three has come right up to meet it and now what you have is tier one those like top 10 elite quarterbacks maybe not even 10 uh you have the young guys who are probably in their own tier entirely, but like guys you think can maybe get into that tier. So we have hope attached to them. And then you have the tier three guys or tier two guys who are just everybody else. And basically like QB 14 through, through 38 are the same person. It doesn't matter who you have. It's just get one. Actually, no, it's a very, it's a very, very good point. I'm wondering what line is blurred. Like, you know, okay. Mahomes, Allen, Whoever you want to put in that top cluster, but then the next group of like your, you know, right now Trevor Lawrence, your Dak Prescotts, like those guys, I think maybe are like the separation between them and the Derek Cars, whatever's is larger. And I think, like you said, fourteen through yeah, yeah, you said it perfectly. Fourteen through fifty is is the same. Right. Like, I mean, you know, Geno Smith is playing, has this incredible sort of resurgence of his career, right? But he's, he's, he's also throwing a DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, now JSN, you know, and, and is still putting a ton of turnover-worthy plays up in the air. Like, is there actually that much difference fundamentally between Geno Smith and, you know, pick your quarterback that's a marginal starter slash backup and is just not having his run right now? I, it's, we're in a weird world where I think that distinction has actually been erased and, that's the indication that you don't have the guy and you need to start over. 
Yeah, we are in a league now where if you want to win the big ones, you need to have one of those cyborgs. Like, yeah, you can make the playoffs. And, you know, obviously teams aren't always just saying Super Bowl or bust in every single decision they make. But more and more and more, I think teams are going to shy away from buying into, you know, the, the Daniel Jones type, Derek Carr type signings. It's just you're not getting return on investment in any way, shape or form. All right, Brad, I think that's going to do it for the moment. We're going to uh, kick over for the the famed boo-boo breakdown, which hopefully soon will be an award-winning boo-boo breakdown. If we win an award, then everything becomes, you become award-winning, Brad, award-winning podcast uh, guest. Um, so we're going to head over to the boo-boo breakdown, and uh, I'll talk to you next week, Brad. Good. All right, back in the studio, as ever, on Friday is our medical expert, Vic Troja. How's it going? Good, sir? Uh, I am doing great today. How are you? Not bad, not bad. All right, let's fire through some of the week's biggest injuries. I want to start with the Bengals, because uh, there's a couple of guys there. Um, Jamar Chase, the first one. Mm-hmm. Chris highlighted this you know, on the broadcast when it happened. He fell from a height going up to get a ball, fell sort of onto his back. And Chris was talking at the time of you know, how sore that's going to be the next morning. Mm-hmm. Is this just what we're dealing with, general soreness from cracking your back against the turf, or is there a real risk of him not playing and, and not being himself if he does play? Yeah, that was uh, funny when he was commenting on that, too. It was like, oh, he's going to feel that tomorrow morning, right? Uh, yeah. It looked it looked at first like it was just a really hard impact injury. Um, to me, there's no structural damage as far as like worrying about like the vertebrae being injured or anything like that. This is just an acute low back injury, and actually – studies show that um, it's only going to take the proper management and a short period of time to heal from like an acute back injury where your muscles are just flared up. So I I think that he's going to be fine. What you're going to see is he'll probably be put on like a heating pad Mm -hmm. um, in between series on his low back just to keep the muscles relaxed. Um, And then he might be even doing some mobility exercises or stretches if it starts to stiffen up. But in, in totality, I don't see it being like a long-term issue. It's just one of those acute injuries where he's just going to be really sore. Uh, then you get T. Higgins, who shows up in the injury report with a hamstring injury. Yeah. Um, I saw somebody, I forget who it was, referring to T. Higgins as something of a, you know, a, for, a Ferrari, a sports car, a guy that's finely tuned, but he's going to spend some time in the shop every single season. Yeah. And yeah. this is his time in the shop. Um, presumably, given that it showed up relatively late, I mean, he's not going to be playing with a hamstring injury. Right. Well, you know, Sam, one of the things that I look at is if a player is midweek and they show up on the injury report with something that wasn't previously an issue. So sometimes you'll see, um, like, maybe somebody with a soft tissue injury get, like, a Wednesday injury report, but they were dealing with it the previous week you can kind of chalk that up as a rest day right but where it's a new injury and it shows up midweek that's when you get more concern especially with something like a hamstring um so what probably happened is he probably strained that at practice and this is going to be way too much of a risk for them to put him in this weekend i would only see that he would come in in the sense of um he they were just taking a lot of caution with it but i don't i don't see that happening i think he's going to be out and they need him down the road anyway yeah i mean something like a hamstring injury if that shows up out of the blue midweek on an injury report i mean there's just no way that you're cool that it's fine for the sunday like you're if if he felt it during the week you can't possibly go out there and sprint you know on a go route 
on a Sunday, a few days later, it's you've got to give it the rest, right? Absolutely. You felt it during the week at a practice, and then you're going to try to go into game where yeah. you can't even replicate those type of reps. I definitely see him taking the rest on this. If he does go out there, um, studies show that there's probably about a 23% chance of injury risk with that. So uh, it's really going to be up to the medical team and T. Higgins on um, how he really feels coming in this weekend, but I see him holding out. So then you get Justin Jefferson, who's now been um, – he's in that practice window. Yep. He's, he's almost back. They are unlikely, I think, to play him this week. Right. I think Kevin O'Connell has basically said that would be pretty aggressive, mm -hmm. throwing him out there this week. He himself, I think, was sort of saying he's either 80 or 90 percent or maybe it was 70 percent or whatever it is, which I still don't understand as a concept. I mean, it's either it's back or it isn't. 70 percent of a hamstring is no hamstring. Yes. Like, that's not being able to sprint. So – um, where are we on Justin Jefferson and his hamstring, which was bad enough to dump him on IR? Yeah, if, since he went on IR, IR and they're getting him back to practice, it's a good sign that he is back now because that means that they're not going to try to hold him out past the bye, which I believe. Right. Um, but uh, the 100% thing basically tells you that he's still dealing with some soreness or apprehension to like really stride out because your hamstring – is maximally contracted and needs all of that strength and like an 80 to 100% full sprint. Well, what do wide receivers do on go routes? What do they do when they break into a post? They're going on to that full sprint. So um, if he's not feeling comfortable doing that or if he has any lingering effects, then he's going to probably hold out this week, which is understandable. And then we've talked about this in the past too, is the Vikings are surprisingly in a spot where they might be yeah. in playoff contention, even with Dobbs. Like, I do think that he's going to want to come back for a potential playoff run and not want to risk it getting back a little bit early. They're only a game and a half back from the Lions. Know, that, so that, really they threw that graphic up last night of just what the NFC North looked like with Chicago obviously playing. Um, it's like, wow, <laughs> from, from being the Vikings might have a shot at the you know one of the top picks in the draft a few weeks ago, they're all of a sudden only a game and a half back from, from the Lions at the top of the North. They're still right back in it with their schedule is still pretty soft for a while. It's yeah. crazy yeah, how they've stayed It's going to be in interesting there. to see what they do for sure. Um, but another player that they've lost in this is Cam Akers, mm -hmm. who now popped his other Achilles. How does that happen? How does one guy tear both Achilles in this course of a couple of years? Man, well, it, the studies that relate to actually tearing your other Achilles is hit or miss. It's only about like a 5% chance, but 5% is kind of a lot because it's not like the average person has a 5% chance of tearing their Achilles, right? right. But what um, is the average, like, what's the just incident rate of tearing an Achilles? Well, like minimal, very right. like under 1%. Before, like, what's it like? Is I presume it's higher for, you know, an oh, athlete. Like an athlete, right. an NFL player, yeah, for sure it's going up. I, I think the thing that this tells you, though, is that because um, – he tore his other Achilles. It could have just been like some type of compensation issue that was never noticed. When you tear your Achilles, um, it's interesting because the rehab that goes into that um, needs to withstand so much load that they say about 2,200 pounds of load that need to be able to go through that tendon. So what might have happened is that he was kind of rehabbing that one side and really focusing on his one Achilles when his other Achilles really wasn't being focused on at all. And then now that he was back and playing, it just so happened that the stronger side is, is actually 
the one that was torn, and this is the one that broke. I, I just I feel bad because at his age and his his likelihood of coming back right now is pretty tough. Right. Um, it, it makes it though. It makes it kind of fascinating with him being like. Remember, his return the first time was like nine months or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Like, and everyone he was the first kind of like, what the hell? This is this timetable for an Achilles return makes no yeah. sense, right? And now we're getting you know, Rogers, who's trying to come back within the same season. But like, Cam Akers was the original like superhuman return from an Achilles injury, and then he tears his other Achilles. It's, it's this fascinating mix of, on the one hand, you've got evidence saying there's something wrong with his Achilles. Both right. of them have gone. And on the right. other hand, you've got evidence saying um, he did rec return from one freakishly fast. So yes. I don't know what to make of his, like, prognosis in the future. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like, is somebody susceptible to, like, a bilateral Achilles tear? Right. Uh, maybe Cam Akers is. But I also, I mean, this is just my opinion from seeing the film. He wasn't the same player. Sure. You know? And so that's another thing is um, he wasn't the same player, but he's still trying to go at that 100% at a really aggressive sport. And it could have just been that um, it, it was a fluke and he ended up tearing his other one too. So we don't really know. I don't remember how he did the first one, but from memory this time around, like it was, he was kind of backing up. It was so... It wasn't like, you know, his body was kind of used to all of the work being done by the, the repaired Achilles mm -hmm. when he puts both feet on the ground. And, and, you know, that's where the, like it was one leg going backwards and sort of absorbing the whole load. And then the Achilles just snapped and yep. over he goes. So, like, I, I can't see a world where compensation is really relevant here because you're not going to be making your original or the healthy, quote unquote, Achilles worse by right building up the other one right building up the strength of the other one it's just somehow when the load is put through this one i don't remember as again don't know how he did the first one but when the load is put through this one and his body just went nope yeah not well, happening wasn't that mechanism kind of interesting to you too because like like you look at aaron Rodgers. And his foot was planted yeah. and he got landed on and like i texted you i was like that's his achilles right well this one was this is the injury a, that terrifies me this yeah. is the injury like when you are young you're you don't think of these uh -huh. like you never consider the fact that one at some point your body is just going to say no yep. to the movement you're trying to make and yep. will not do it and will something will break you never factor that in until it happens to you and then from that point on, now you're aware of all of the things that can happen. Now you're like, there's all kinds of crap I can ask my body to do, and it'll just say, not a chance. No, nope, right. something's snapping instead. Right. Like, it would never occur to me that just sort of bouncing backwards, you know, backing up, catching a ball, planting my foot in the turf, that your Achilles is just going to snap and say, yep. I'm out. This tapped is, out. This is that one where, like, you're Horrible. stepping off of a ladder and yeah. you're like, I got to be gentle here because like, right. I'm afraid of something like that happening. Exactly. It, like, it totally, I mean, forget, that's just, <clears throat> I, this has to be why when they come back they're not the same guy because how can you possibly ever do the same things you've been doing without thinking about it mm -hmm. again? You're yeah. like, I was just backing up and I felt like I got shot in the back of the leg. Yep. Like, I, I'm never ever gonna get back to not thinking that's a possibility right. again. I mean, how many times has he done that, right? right. So, and how many times would we ask to do that again? So, exactly. Uh, and before, agree. like before that moment, it's literally a a watershed moment. Before that moment, he's probably never thought that that's a possibility before. And then after that moment, he's never gonna think it's not a possibility again. Like yep. I can't, I can't see a world where that wouldn't affect how you would play once you're back, even yep. when you're, even when it is theoretically 100% healthy and. 
and ready to go again. And especially on both legs. Right so. now. <laughs> Poor yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, all right, Dallas Goddard. Yeah. Um, Dallas Goddard's injury was interesting. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that tackle should be illegal. Yeah. That yeah. had it reminded me a lot of the old school horse collar tackles that were mm-hmm. were made illegal because Dallas safety Roy Williams, amongst others, would do it all the time. Where yep. you'd grab a guy, you know, in the the neck roll and basically fall down on his ankles. Right. And yep. that was breaking ankles regularly. So they're like, this is a dangerous tackle. You can't do it. Yep. Well, whoever was making the tackle on Goddard basically grabs his arm, pulls it this way, and then falls on it. Yeah. I mean, that's like if you were trying to break his arm, that's how you would do it. That's how, yeah, exactly. It's almost one of those where you look at it and you just realize like that that person took whatever limb was there and yeah. put all of their force down and right. landed on it. And, and I understand that the reason he did it is because Goddard's out here trying to stiff arm him. Right. But like the mechanism mm-hmm. to deal with that is not, I'm going to take the stiff arm and snap it. It's, you know, swat it down and then try and get into the body and take him down that way. Like yeah. I, I feel like that's, that should be an illegal tackle. Yeah, well, and you definitely have a valid point when it ends up that he fractured his forearm, right? So, yeah. like, that's even a worse outcome. He didn't, like, he just, like, sprained his wrist. Um, but the interesting thing is, like, this isn't that bad of an injury. So you, you hear fracture, you hear um, uh, radius where that, that radial head fracture can happen, and it was on well, a fall on an outstretched hand. We call it a foosh injury. Um but he's going to be back in four to six weeks. I just think that uh, he's going to have to recover a little bit from um, just the surgery, but he's going to be able to stay conditioned, which is nice. Right. And he's going to be able to do um, some other like football-related drills with his lower extremity. It's just that he's going to have to take off with his upper arm. It's kind of like what happened to Zach Moss, right? And he comes back, and you don't even see uh, really a relatively difference from previously being injured same thing with dallas goddard does that get any sort of enhanced like protection once he's back does he wear any kind of like not a not a cast but some kind of splint even when he's back and ready to go just or just to uh reinforce the repaired bone yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they put like just a a basic wrist or and brace or splint on it um even with like a thumb strap on uh, I wouldn't be surprised, especially if he still has some tenderness in there. And that might be just something more mental for him to, you know, put something on because he has had that previous injury. But it's not going to be needed. Like, they will not put him out there if he needs to have any type of stability on a broken bone relying on that brace. All right. Anything else we want to hit before we get out of here? Uh, let's see how uh, Kyler Murray does this week. First yes. week back with his ACL. I'm interested to see how he uh, does scrambling on that knee. And, and uh, hopefully he comes back as agile as he was before. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, Cardinals coaches seem to be suggesting he's going to be running as normal, Mm -hmm. but that's the thing to keep an eye on, right? Not just how good does Kyler Murray look, but A, does he want to scramble? B, do they want to tap into his ability as a mobile quarterback? Because that's a big part of his game. Yeah, definitely watch for it. All right, that'll do it for the PFF NFL podcast this week. Thank you all for listening and watching, and we'll be back on Monday.